0: George. Joe. Season finale time. Yeah, we did it. Season one down. <laughs> and we have an awesome show. Who do we have on tonight?
1: We have an amazing show tonight. We have Scott Schwartz from The Toy and a Christmas Story, uh, which I'm really excited about. We're going get to get him up here in just a couple of minutes and just Q&A and let some people ask some stuff. But first of all, uh, before we get into that, uh apologies uh for last week's episode there's nothing we can do about the power grid i guess right
0: sure enough actually it was a truck
1: okay well sorry sorry to our guests sorry to our viewers sorry to everybody uh because you know the episode episode before that we had some awesome uh view numbers which i'm really happy about we are our, our last episode that aired was over five thousand views right joe
0: yeah, it absolutely was. And before we go on again, uh, welcome to Romero Pictures Indie Brigade with your host, George C. Romero, because we are actually doing audio-only shows now, so we got to make sure to touch base on that.
1: <laughs> and that's Joe's little fuck you to George. So <laughs> There it is. The bar has been set. The gauntlet has been thrown. Fuck you, Joe. Much ado. Who else do we have on tonight before you go on? That's a big thing you just brought up. We're now doing audio-only streams of our podcast. We are getting picked up uh, and syndicated, I guess is the proper term for that, across some different platforms. Uh, And all of that is going to be made a lot clearer on January 2nd when we make our announcement and on January 3rd when we go into it in detail on our New Year's episode, the first episode of 2020. Um, so all of that said, there's very exciting things going on and I'm very happy about it. And tonight's guests are Scott Schwartz. We've got Richard Grieco, a good friend of mine. And finally, we've got Michael Mandeville, the line producer from the Taken series of films. And we are going to, uh, get into some serious talk about some of the, uh, business of independent filmmaking, uh, things like budgeting and scheduling. And as Michael likes to call it, filmmaking with a calculator so we're we've got a great show and we're just kind of speeding through these intros so we can get into it uh so here we go
0: all right so our first guest scott schwartz who many people know from uh christmas story um will bring up the infamous picture that he's never seen before and also the toy with richard pryor and jackie gleason so without further ado here's scott hey guys How's it going? I'm
2: good. I'm glad I'm doing the video and not just the audio, because then I can only do the audio if not the video, but this is good. Yeah, no, we have a lot of fun doing this. It's good. It's, we have a good time, and we can put
1: all kinds of people up here together, and and, uh, and, and my favorite moment about tonight is going to come in a few minutes when, uh, when I turn you over to Joe, because uh, he's, he's got something to talk to you about, uh, but with us right now. I thought he was going to say,
2: you know, just hurry up so we can get to Richard Draco, you know.
1: (laughs) We've got Scott Schwartz on. uh, And Scott was uh, part of two iconic films uh, The Toy uh, with uh, Rich Pryor and A Christmas Story, which uh, has become, you know, it's gotten its own uh, cult following.
0: um. Yes. So there it is right there.
1: There he is so we're lucky to have him here tonight and uh you know i think the the question the first question i'd like to ask you man is you know being a part of something that became so iconic um you know what's what's that like you you know to to kind of have that in your you know like when people talk to me about my dad and stuff he was he did this iconic stuff and all i can do is talk about it from an outsider's perspective you you were actually somebody who was part of something iconic you know, what, what's that like to carry around?
2: Uh, it's not, a, I, don't, I don't consider it like baggage. You know, it's nice because people are cool about it. They're friendly about it. They want to talk to you. They want to smile. Uh, it's not like anybody, you know, says, oh, you killed Luke Skywalker and we need to kill you. No, it was, <laughs> you know, the tongue of the flagpole is very innocent, and very fun. Uh, it's sort of interesting, you know, doing... Uh, having only really eight minutes in the film. uh, And they did a bronze statue of me in Hammond, Indiana, the home of Gene Shepard, the writer. And I see that and I look at it and I go, that's great. I got a bronze statue. And $4 gets me a cup of coffee at Dunkin' (laughs) Donuts, you know. So, I mean, while it's a great legacy type thing, but while you're still here, it really doesn't have any meaning other than fans who just love you. That's it. Yeah. And appreciation
1: but that's still really cool to have something like that. That's part of your life, part of your history. You know, what are you, you
2: you could, you could do a a million different things and nobody remembers any of it. Yeah. You know, so to be a part of something that is remembered, I mean, it's fun and it's cool, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, what's, what's going on with you? What's going on with you now? What are you up to these days? I mean,
2: I'm still working. I'm actually doing a film, believe it or not, next week. I'm doing a a seven days on an independent film and then I'm going to do something else in April and, you know, I rep celebrities for autograph shows and memorabilia signings and all kinds of stuff like that and buy and sell movie collectibles, sports memorabilia. I sell stuff on eBay. I stay busy. You know, I've, I found a life that's not dependent on being always in front of the camera.
1: Right. Well, and that's good. You know, that's something that we actually talk about a lot here in the brigade is having something outside, having something else other than this business because this business can kill you.
2: Yeah, I mean, and I, I wasn't the guy to be going, um, and you wanted fries with that, right? Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, no that wasn't me.
1: <laughs> no, 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 no. But, uh, so now I don't know if you want to touch on, on your book or not. Um, we didn't actually come to a, re- a resolution on this, but if there, if Well, no,
2: it's not going to be until next September. You know, uh, it's called Whatever Happened to Me. That's the, the work, the title I have so far. They okay. haven't said no, so they seem to be okay with that. Okay. Um, it's basically The Good, The Great, The Bad, The Ugly you know, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, a New Jersey boy. I don't sugarcoat stuff. You know, I say it the way that it is. So, uh, some people probably be really happy. Some people might not be happy. I don't know. Uh, but, uh, I, I, it's a life experience book. It's all the things that have happened to me, the place I've gone, people I've met, the learning experiences, working with Jackie Gleason and Richard Pryor and Robert Klein and Liza Minnelli and, Etc. Etc. and whatever, with WWF, WWF back in the 80s. You know, just it never ends. I mean, you've done it all. You've literally,
1: you've had this this storied life and this storied career that people have got to be, you know, there's people out there that just probably look at you and say, oh, my God, what a life you've led. And, and then, then there's
2: others that go, oh, he's a has-been, and he's a nonsense, and it's like, okay, whatever.
1: Uh, those are just haters, man. They're everywhere, you know. Oh, they're, they they're everywhere. And, yeah, you know, yeah, it's yeah. the world Absolutely.
2: of the internet now.
1: Absolutely. You know, Absolutely.
2: I'd rather appreciate and, and give love and not be <laughs> jealous of somebody else's successes. You know, if I see somebody that's done really well for themselves, I'm like, that's great. They're going to yeah. be able to feed five generations of their family. Good for them.
1: You know, <laughs> exactly.
2: Yeah. You know, If, if it Absolutely. were to happen to me, great. Okay. But if it happens to somebody I know or somebody I care about, I'm all for it. Or anybody, yeah. if I don't know them, I don't give a shit. Yeah, Exactly. Well, listen, what kind of films are you doing? You said you're getting ready to go off and do a film, right? I'm doing, uh, it's called uh, The Christmas Wrestling Movie. And it's not exactly what you would think it is. It's not like professional wrestling. It's about, you know, a kid who's in a, a, a who's a wrestler, and he also wants to be an indif- independent filmmaker. And he makes a film, and then we kind of find out what happens to the footage and where we go from there. And, you know, there's blackmail and all kinds of fun stuff, you know, nothing crazy. That's cool. So, well, that sounds like a great time, though. Yeah, I mean, I've got, uh, uh, I'm in 22 scenes, and I'm supposed to get that done in six and a half days.
1: Yeah. So okay, so let's talk about that real quick. How about that? That's got to be a big shift oh. because back back in the day, I mean, I'm sure Christmas Story was a little bit more because it was a big independent film. So I'm sure it was a little bit more run and gun. It but was when MGM. You were, when you were doing movies was- like The Toy, like they had months to make the toy.
2: Right. I mean, it was a page a day. It was a 90, 90 page script. And it was, and we were supposed to shoot, uh, actually for, um, 95 days and Richard Pryor took ill and we ended up shooting actually four months, but the script was only like 92 pages or something. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, I mean, I, I shot uh, an independent, Oh God, it's gotta be 10 or 12 years ago now, uh, with, the, the, the bully from Christmas stories, uh, uh, Zach Ward, who played Scott Farkas. Yeah. And he, he called me up and he's like, we need a producer for this thing. And it's it's really guerrilla shooting. And I said, OK. So I go. and All right. And the guy that put up the money was a carpet cleaner. Yeah. He had no idea about filmmaking, but he was going to direct this. Sure. He hires a DP who probably wears or probably weighs 350 pounds. Shot everything on a tripod. Yeah.
1: Just shot
2: on a tripod. So we shot the whole movie in 11 days.
1: Yeah. 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 It's it's crazy, the turnaround time. I got a feature that we're trying to put together right now, and that's our entire schedule is 11 days to shoot the entire feature film. It depends on what you're shooting. Yeah. But, I mean, it's still crazy. Like, even if it's an effects-heavy or stun-heavy project now, you're lucky if you get 21 days. You know, you get these people saying, you know, 21, 26 days and, and people are pulling it off.
2: Well, it's a li- believe it or not, it's, it is simpler now simply because of video. You're
1: yeah, not absolutely. shooting
2: 35. So, you know, people can have two and three and four cameras shooting at the same time, as absolutely. opposed to a 35 and that's, you got one camera and one set up and then you got to go to the next one. Yeah. Now with everything else. They're shooting, you know, four people at the same time, or shooting one scene. And if they got cast members that aren't involved in that scene, they'll take them someplace else and shoot a B roll yeah. or whatever.
1: Yeah, I got a cinematographer friend who calls it point and shoot filmmaking <laughs> nowadays because they got these these cameras that are shooting six K and up eight K video, and they'll just set up and shoot a wide, and then punch in for their close ups in post. And you know, it's kind of pissing off some of the old timer uh, cinematographers because. You know, it's like people don't even change lenses anymore. You know, they just uh, I... they just crank through stuff. And, you know, and that's a large part of what the brigade is about, too. It's about teaching and passing on the knowledge of, of the old timers to the new school yeah. so that the new school can kind of learn the techniques of the old timers and the old tech and apply it to the new tech. And and that's kind of a big focus of ours. So, you know, I mean, what do you do, let me ask you this question. Would you prefer old school? I'm more yeah. old school. Yeah. So would you, you know, prefer four months to make a movie or would you prefer two months to make a movie or even a month to make a
2: movie? Well, it depends on where we're making this movie. That's true. <laughs> you know, if you're, telling, if you're telling me, you know, oh, we're going to be in South Africa, well, I'll take the two weeks. If you're mm-hmm. telling me we're going to be in Belize or Australia or, you sure. know, some, uh, <laughs> sure, I'll take a couple of months. No problem. You know, Uh no, I'm, I'm more old school movie making. That's what I grew up with. I mean, I grew up watching the Hopalong Cassidy's and the 1940s B serials. The Adventures of Captain Marvel, the Fighting Devil Dogs, the Spider Returns. I yeah. like the look of film. Yeah. You know? And it's so different than video. Yeah, and that, that's why they were doing for a while. They were doing the thing called film look. Yeah. They took it off of a 16 you know, 16 print and they ran it through a film chain. It sort of made it look, you know, mm-hmm. they on video and then they made it look like 16. It was like, nah, you know, yeah. Yeah. It, uh, I actually just heard this as a, the, the, um, as a, a, a fellow actor, not going to mention his name, but he did a very, very big film. And apparently they're having a big revival of this film now. Well, they, they cut a new print and they made it in like 4g, he will actually not go to a theater to watch the film in its original format. It has to be in 4G for him to go and do an appearance. Yeah. I'm like, really? <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, I want to see Christmas Story on a 35 screen the way it was in yeah. 1983. Yeah, you exactly. Know? I, I don't want to go and see a 2020 version of it. No, I, I want to see it as it came out. It's like basically going to see, you know, you know, one of your dad's films, you know, from 1974. But it doesn't look like that now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Looks they like a video did a game. Big, it's like no. Yeah. They just did a big, uh, a big uh, restoration of Night of the Living Dead. Uh, people say they love it. I don't know. I, 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 the first time I saw Night of the Living Dead, I watched it on a, I watched a 16 millimeter print of it on a projector in the basement of the house I grew up in.
2: That's exactly and, uh, what I did.
1: Yeah, and and I can't. Uh, y- you know, to me, that's that's Night of Living Dead. So when I when I see the uh, the big 4K stuff, it. Um, yeah,
2: no, I watched it on 16. Yeah, yeah. So I watched yeah. it on. That's, yeah, and and you know, you, if you see it on a big screen, and you, it's one thing to have a a dirty print mm-hmm. and have a clean print. Yes, you want to watch a clean print so that there's sure. not all the bubbles and crap. You know, right. but that's just a clean print of the film, but it's film. It's not a digitalized version, you know, of I one of shot. I'm with you. you. I'm with you. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Hey, listen, I
1: got to I gotta bring Joe up here if he's around because Hello.
0: we're getting. Was, was getting that a fat afternoon. joke? What? Was that a fat joke? No.
2: Oh, because Being around? around. around.
0: Uh-huh. You're taking that a
2: little personal, aren't you, Joe?
0: You don't know George. Fuck you, Joe.
2: You <laughs> know I know uh, George's age and my were pretty close. Joe looks a little bit younger, so, you know. Well, thank you.
0: I'll it's take that as a beanie. compliment. It's, it's just the beanie. Yeah. But I have a full head of hair under here.
1: You do. I know. <laughs> and I'm not sure if it makes you look younger or older. Huh. Anyway, Dad. so listen. <laughs> <laughs> I brought Joe back up here because he's got kind of a bone to pick with you. Yeah, yeah I know. Yeah, yeah I
0: kind of told you so, beforehand. Right you're, now, you're, you're, the you're, season
1: finale, I'm sorry, Joe. The season finale of Indie Brigade is the showdown right now.
0: All right. Well, he has wrestling experience. I don't. That's true. <laughs>
2: Bring it on. Come on, Joe. Bring it on, dude. Let's go. Uh, uh,
0: all right. All right. So, Scott, you're the bane of my existence. I had one chance to make it big back in 1982. Okay, 82. <laughs> the day after my birthday, I was brought to an open audition. Look at that. And yes, That's that is, that is me next to it. I wish I had that, that
2: poster, that cutout. That would be great.
0: Right. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, true story uh long island new york at a toys r us yes the day after my birthday uh it says february 6th at the yep. store i can't read the rest i actually had to try to take a picture and clean that up of that that's the original polaroid that i had from it wow yeah so it, it's old that is great man <laughs> but yes you stole my dreams man and for that yeah
2: well, I'm going to use the line from Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein. That's where I'm, that's what I'm going to pull from right now. When when Lou Costello looks at Lon Chaney and goes, "Yeah, you and 20 million other guys." <laughs> that's that's the only one I can pull. There was like, from what I was told, there was something around 8,000, 9,000 kids that actually went to the Toys R Us's and they said, hey, you know, this is what we're doing. And I think all it was really was you just said hi. And they took your name and they took a picture of you. And that was like pretty much it. I don't. Oh, think well, I thank you know. for
0: dumbing that down for everybody, what I did. I appreciate it. Well,
2: no, from what I was doing, there was no dialogue, you know. <laughs>
0: you know. You know hi, my name is Joey Ridgely.
2: <laughs> there's just too many kids that they had to see across the country. And right. uh, they were looking for a Jackie Gleason lookalike. That's what they wanted. You know, had think oh. done it now, you would have qualified. <laughs> you know, damn, he's just he's just getting you with the one food,
1: Joe. You know? Oh man, he beat your ass when you were a kid, yeah, I have to, not for you, man, down.
0: That's awesome. I, I will take that as a compliment, then.
1: Yeah, <laughs> Jackie Gleason, man. Remember that? Oh, jeez, man,
0: I could. I could but know. I was told I was actually told that I was too young. How old were you? 1982, I was uh, February
2: I was six. Yeah you were too young.
0: I was a tall six, though.
2: You were a tall six, and I was a short 13. You know, I, was, I got the job. I was four foot six. I weighed 52 pounds. Wow. Yeah. And in, in within a week, because we were in Louisiana and I was in that full wool military uniform, I went down to like 48 pounds. And they started just giving me, flu- they were making me drink, you know, more sodas, more liquids, you know, feeding me every kind of shit food that they could find. They were giving
0: it to <laughs> me. <The> junk <laughs> food all around.
2: Yeah, because they wanted me to gain the weight back because I was schwitzing everywhere. Underneath the, the uniform, I'm wearing, you know, an undershirt and, and long johns because it was all wool and it's like hell. So I was just a sweat bag. I was just sweating off the weight.
0: Uh, I, I, I gotta go over a couple of comments that you know that that they're rooting for Scott here. Yeah, get him, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, oh, you he, mean to see, Oh no, come on, yeah. you know. <laughs> Here's hey, our Steve. buddy Steve Joyner
2: There you go. Hey, Steven what's going on, buddy?
0: And Lance, saying great story. Thanks, Lance. And uh, I'm assuming this is to Scott's comments. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, and thanks for chiming in, Chuck. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you said that you were going to bring up comments supporting you, Jeff. Um, uh, no, no, that's a Scott. Not and me. Is, um. is there one? Wait. Um, uh, Joe. Uh, not just Lance. Saying... <laughs> uh No, I mean, one of, one of, as a kid, seeing that movie was, when they press the button and the picture, uh
2: huh, the painting, <laughs> the painting, yeah.
0: yes, the painting. Yeah,
2: the, uh, Dick Donner, the director, the director. From what I understand, he has that. Really? Yeah.
1: Wow. Yeah. I would like to have that.
2: I would we, like to have that. It's great. Piece. We would all like to have <laughs> that. <I> mean, <laughs> realistically, it worked, but it didn't work because they had, you know, figured out how to do it, but they had rigged it. Uh, so that uh, you know, it was supposed to be a remote control, which was baloney. There was actually just a guy sitting on the floor, and as soon as Gleason went like this, he stuck the plug in the wall, and the thing <laughs> just went up. It just, it just went up. Movie magic. They, they, they didn't yeah. have, a, they didn't have it switched right. Yeah. You know? As long as it worked.
3: Yeah. Teresa Ganzel,
2: who played Fancy Bates, one of my dear, dearest friends. I love her to death. She's still, she's still here, and. She was beautiful. Yeah. I don't actually think that was her body. They just kind of painted something. But right. Still great.
0: Hey, to a kid, it was perfect.
2: Oh, absolutely. No question. still perfect. What are we talking
0: about? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we got Lance saying, uh, Hashtag someone <laughs> throw Joe a bone, right? I, I can't catch a break nope. on this program. What the nope. hell?
1: Lance, I- no way. Uh, I, I Joe wanted to pick this
0: fight. Uh, let's see. We got Anthony. What's Bob Clark directing style like?
2: Um, in my case, very easy. He basically said, "Do what you want, and we'll see what happens." That was really what he was like with me. Uh, he was more direct with Peter Billingsley, played Ralphie. You know, he re- he wanted a particular character. You know, he wanted Ralphie done a particular way. Uh, there was fighting going on on the set between him and Gene Shepard because Gene kind of had the way that he saw Ralphie. And Bob's going, Go away. Leave the kid alone. Uh, I mean, again, outside of that, me, Bob didn't say five words. You know, we did the tongue on the flagpole, and he's like, Do whatever you want. So I did it, and he's like, great give me more go heavier i did it again i gave him more he goes no no you did it better the first time the way you did it go down that was pretty much all of the direction i got from bob clark you know because we were just kids and he just like let it let it fly let it go
0: can can you still hit that high of a decibel
2: probably not (laughs) (laughs) i wish i could i used to sing celine dion and barbara streisand and carol king and you know I can't do that stuff no more, man. Can't do it. You know, doing Steve Perry from Journey was easy. Now it's like forget it. I gotta I gotta get like four cups of hot tea in me and really try. Wow.
1: Man, I ain't been able to sing in a in a high voice since I
2: was like three. My voice <laughs> my voice changed. <laughs> my my favorite thing to do? <clears throat> oh, thank you very much i like to say I'd love you know, to on the George and Joe show, baby. Ah, I was going to come on the show, but, you know, the colonel, he said, ah, I got to get paid, and it's a freebie, baby. You know what I'm saying, baby? So I like to do Elvis. Nice. <laughs> you know, I've, awesome. I've performed in front of a couple thousand people doing Elvis, so it's like I can do it. Thank God that voice is not gone. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we got Steven saying that he's in a Target in San Diego looking at leg lamps. <laughs> I've got one in my. I've got multiple. Actually, we have one on a shelf, an actual, like, foot and a half one. And then I know my wife has at least one or two on the freaking Christmas tree, also. I, yep. Iconic movie, no doubt about it. And I, who is it, TNT or TBS that runs the 24 Hours on Christmas Eve now?
2: It's TBS. It's, it's all CBS. Turner. It doesn't matter. It's all TV. It's CBS. It's all right. Turner. You know. But yeah. Yeah. 24 Hours, but, man. It, it definitely goes on the TV in our house.
1: See year. the thing
0: is, what my wife and I complain about is every time we start watching it, and we have to go and do something, we come back, and it's like right at half hour before we started. It. <laughs> it's like oh, shit.
2: <laughs> you know, but, you know. There's there's a new electronic thing. I don't know if you're aware of it. It's called the pause button.
0: Wow. Yeah. Okay. Where was that hashtag? Throw Joe a bone.
2: What <laughs> <laughs> you doing to yourself, man? See, see, when you, uh, tower. There, when you, when you lay them out there to, to somebody with half a bit of intelligence.
0: Well, see, we're not it. used to having people on like that. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh, Everybody who has been out. on. Okay. All right.
1: I'm going to go ahead and start messaging all
2: our past guests. <laughs> Wait, I'll, I'll be, I'll be the new guest on the show. Yes. No. <laughs> yes. No. Can't be doing that, man.
0: you Scott, got your awesome. awesome. Okay. okay.
1: Scott, tell tell people where they can find you and stuff
2: social media shout me?
0: out see why i just spoke you over you
2: you know, I know. Okay. I, I, i'm not there's a lot I, i'm old and i'm foolish and i get it i don't really i do a little instagram i do a little bit of twitter but that's right. me. you can find me on there and say hi i might it might take me two months to get back to you but you can All say right. hi Oh. You know, I think it's Scott, aka the real flick. Awesome. I think that's what it is on uh, on Twitter. I think or Instagram. I don't even remember.
0: You that's got any appearances coming up in January, February, March?
2: Uh, March. I'm gonna be in uh, St. Louis. I'm gonna be at a gig in St. Louis. I don't remember the name of the the show right now, but I know I'm going.
0: I'm we go. will find Maybe that. February, go to
2: Florida. I don't know. Hey, right. I'm down in Florida. We'll come on down. Yeah, keep us posted, and we'll post that stuff up for you, too.
0: So,
1: you got it. Scott, it's been a pleasure having you on tonight, man. Thank you for coming on and sharing some time with us. And, Same. And, you
2: guys have a happy and a healthy. And uh, tell Richard, I said, hey, he's he's one of my old homies. So I love the guy. You got uh, it. We'll stick around if you feel like it. But uh, we're going to put you down in the lobby, and thank you so much for coming in, man. You guys got it. Happy New Year, too. Same you. for you. Peace out, Joe. Stay well, buddy. Hang
0: Thanks, in there. Hang said. in there. Fight- oh, sorry. That was a damn computer glitch. No, I'm kidding, Scott. I didn't intentionally mean to cut you off.
1: Oh, see what happens when you fuck with the guy who pushes the buttons.
0: Right. Uh, I got a mute button for your mic, don't I? Nope. Oh, okay. <laughs> wow. I. Uh... Oh, Libby. Hi, Libby. We love libby hey libby and her husband they are awesome thank you libby oh i'm just looking everybody out there lance samantha lance chuck
3: steve anthony
0: looking anthony uh smithson creations handcrafted woodworking
1: that's sean that's my buddy sean he's badass
0: and lang ross
1: ross what's up are you here Awesome. Hello, everybody. Well, everybody who, is, who has been here, I hope uh, you've been having fun so far. Season finale, Romero Pictures, Indie Brigade, season one finale, episode finale. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> we just had Scott Schwartz on, and we're soon going to have Richard Grieco and Michael Mandeville. Yes, we are. Um, oh, wait. You, you got to read one thing that um, Lance said uh it's not in a foreign language george it's just not coming out <laughs> uh, for those that can't uh, see it it, it it says hashtag joe has the power thank you joe. <laughs> <laughs> hey there's matt hey matt <laughs> All right, I'm going to bring Richard up because uh, people are done with this. They want a guy with good hair and nice chops and everything. So without further ado, there he is.
1: Richard Grieco. Hey, guys. How's it going, brother? Good, brother. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Happy holidays to you. Thank you for coming on tonight.
3: Oh, My pleasure, guys.
1: You look like you're sitting in front of a nice fire.
3: Well, do what I did. I actually did a nice kind of candle to kind of have a flicker you know and i could do I this, enjoy that like right here it's
1: really I nice enjoy that. I
3: enjoy that.
0: i'm gonna bow down so you guys can have at it call me if you need me <laughs> seriously
1: <laughs> how's it going tonight man are you good, good man how you doing I'm, I'm good i'm good uh i'm i'm really happy you're here tonight you know we've become dear friends And, uh, beyond that, we're, you know, we talk a lot about the business and we talk a lot about the, the, the art of what we do. We talk about the, the inner creative of what we do. Uh, and we talk about a lot about just the, the, the different ways to kind of do what we do. And for anybody who doesn't know, um, which I think most of our viewers probably know, you've just, uh, you've just done a film called Clinton Road um and you just directed that film and uh you've you've just got another one that's in post now uh and so you're doing the indie horror film thing now and and that's what i think is is really fucking cool man and i just kind of want to talk to you about a little bit and find out you know why you decided to kind of jump into the indie horror world it's it's an it's an interesting sandbox for someone to dive into you know i mean why you did it and what was it like for you
3: well it was one of those things where um it was kind of a, something that happened over time. I I, I uh, doing so many films um, you kind of learn what goes on behind the scenes as far as production, directing and this and that and and, uh, and, and doing big studio films, too. Um, um, but I think I learned a lot on, on actually uh, like doing um, series television because of the grind and the short span of time you had to shoot an episode you know what i mean so yeah um i think uh and then i just wanted more control over things and i wanted projects that i wanted to do where we either directing it or producing it um having a a, a control mechanism that, that the end product is is what you what you actually saw to, to, to do you know instead of leaving up to someone else just to do Anything they want, just being a hired hand, you know. Um, I mean, it's try, it's it's. I mean, doing like, as you you all know, doing a independent film, um, you got to raise the money, um, which is in itself an arduous process. Uh, I think, you know, and then you don't want to get twenty five investors, as we you all know, you like to get one or two and then once you get that in and then start the process you know even though you hire a bunch of people um like pas and production assistants and line producers and and, and everything you, you tend to Bert, pick the burden on yourself to handle everything anything goes wrong is, it's you, you know. Anything yeah, that happens. It's on you. Uh, yeah. If yeah. craft service doesn't bring the right food, you know, yeah. you gotta go. Okay, what do you guys want? You know, let me. Eat. You know, yeah. So, but there's some about doing, and I find I've always been a huge horror nut, anyways. Um, and uh, there's something about the horror genre that I think with people um, in, in sci-fi, it, 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 there's an escapism in it. You know, and uh, and for me, um, it's a point of view where you can express a dark side of yourself, you know, and where you couldn't necessarily do it in real life. And uh, and in that respect, uh, um, and then, you know, you only have like Sunday you know, a lot of movies you have, like Clint Rowe, when we directed that, um, we had 17 days to shoot. That's it. We were shooting in New Jersey around Clinton Road, but we had to bring people in from New York and the city. So it was 40 miles. And, you know, it was a sag after thing. So basically, it's, it was, uh, you got eight hours portal to portal, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, how do you do this? You know? <laughs> craft service gets mentioned a lot yes yes it yeah. does
1: <laughs> well it's one of the you know people joke about it but it's actually in, super important to feed your crew i mean you know a happy crew is a well-fed crew and a well-fed oh, yeah. crew is a happy crew you know what i mean
3: have service and catering man you gotta you gotta make sure it's really good stuff
1: i'll tell you man you you have you have like a day where you have shitty food or you're like or it's second meal and you're like oh it's second meal we gotta order pizzas man, you, you'll never get anything done. Your whole grip department, your whole electric department, they'll all just be pissed off. They're like fucking pizza again, you know? And they just don't want to, you know, they, 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 they don't feel like you're respecting them. And, you know, so you, you gotta have respect for your crew. They're the ones making your movie. You know what I mean?
3: Well, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's the key. I mean, I mean, my whole thing is, is always make sure that the crew is happy. Everyone's happy. Um, and directing you know making sure uh especially with um with sensitive stuff with especially uh, women you know just to make sure they trust you you know so basically if the it's like in clinton road we had a a sex scene in the woods so i would sh- you know i do a lot of things in close-ups and stuff and this and that and and i would show the actors you know how does this look how do you like this i mean you know because i mean the end game is going to be her looking. You don't want her to go. I look so ugly or why did you do this shot? Cause I've seen scenes, and I'm sure you have too, that they shoot it with like oh, a wide angle. They're like this, you know, and don't get the, I mean, the less you show, I think the sexier it is.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think that's one of the cardinal rules of, of filmmaking. And I think that that, you know, that has spilled over, you know, I mean, there's, there's uh there's there's kind of some universal cinematography rules, right? Like smoke is fucking sexy. Yeah. Uh, less is more when it comes to actual sex. Uh, those are the things that that kind of created the precedent in the industry that you know I think has gone a little bit past you know the way it used to be, and it's not necessarily always done tastefully these days. But you know, you bring up an interesting point about gaining trust and making sure that you're trustworthy on set to make sure everybody feels safe. You know, I mean. I got a question for you coming from the background that you come from with the, the massive films that you did, especially when you were doing them and we weren't in sort of this 2019 sort of new age of it all. Um, You know, what's how much different was it on some of the bigger films uh, you know, when it comes to things like actor safety and actor trust and all that other stuff? Oh, there I am. Oh, yeah, I'm back. Joe, Mike's mic's muted.
0: Okay. That's a good thing. Uh, he froze up for a second, so we lost the feed. So
3: what would you say? Okay. What did you say, brother?
1: So, so what I was saying is, you know, with some of the big films that you've done, and especially when you were doing them, it was before this whole 2019, the way things are approached now. What's right. the big differences between, like, those big films and sort of gaining actor trust and safety with regard to today? How much more uh, or less you know, like how would you compare that kind of experience between the two sizes of productions that you've done and that you were used to? I
3: think the, you know, doing the bigger films. Um, I mean, you got a crew of what, what? 140
1: people. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Um, I mean, it's stretched out. I mean, in a, in a span of like three and a half, four months of shooting. So I found like in mobsters, um, That was like a four month shoot Um, just keeping within character of like playing Benny Siegel. Just keep because I I would shoot, you know, pretty much every day for like a month and have like a month off. Yeah. And. And like in a big film, like the the DP could go look at the sky and go, I really don't like those clouds. (laughs) You know, those (laughs) clouds up there. I go, what cloud those up there, those white ones? I go, yeah. He goes, I'd really like to see a nice clean sky. Um, and he wouldn't shoot, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, that's like what $150,000 a day, yeah. People, people hanging around. I mean, oh, oh, I
1: know it's it's literally it's such a waste of money at that level, at that budget level, you know. I mean, and on the one hand. I get it because if the DP sees it that way and the director sees it that way, I absolutely get it. If you have the money to spend and waste to do that kind of shit. But on the other hand, having never had that luxury in my life, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like I can never, I can never even imagine what it would be like to be like, I think we'll take a break for a day and wait for that cloud to look like a bunny rabbit.
3: Yeah, pretty much.
1: (laughs) You know, but now you're directing and now you've done Clinton road and you've got killer selfie coming up and um what's do, what do you like better do you like the do you like sort of do you like the stuff the big budget stuff or do you, do you like doing it this way because i know that and i want to talk about your art too i want to talk about your painting i feel like since i've gotten to know you that this is more the the real you like this is the the real artist you gets to come out in this indie world a lot more than anybody ever got to see before is that am i right or wrong there
3: no, I think I think you're right. I mean, it's just a. I mean, being on the directing end or the producing end uh, and seeing things from the beginning to end and seeing it to, uh, to fruition. I mean, it's a. Uh, I think it's more gratifying. I mean, I look at it. I mean, because especially uh, um, painting, um, you start with a blank canvas, and and the thing about artwork is it's entirely yours. I mean, it's entirely your emotion. It can't be screwed up by an editor or, or if music, a and r guys, or it can't be screwed up by a, a, uh, um, studio where they go, you know what, this whole scene here, you know, we're at one hour and we're at 116 minutes. Can we cut it down to one Oh nine? Right. Just get an extra, you know, space in the theater. Uh, in this respect, you have total control, and, and and it's more of you, more a part of you. I mean, yeah, it's it's really tough, and, and it gets. It, there's a lot of heartbreak in it, and you got to have a thick skin um, with a lot of this stuff. Um, but I think the in the in the end, once it's a finished product, you know, down the road, it was truly, you know, something that you were totally invested in, instead of just being a hired hand. You know, know, like, hey, let's get Richard Rico in this, and you know, use his name. You go on there for two days and shoot, and and then you're gone. And it feels like, you know,
1: right? Yeah, it's cheaper, feels cheaper, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know, you it's interesting because you you did compare it to sort of the the painting and everything, and you know, like. So, when you do, when you direct the film, you've got this more pure representation of your inner creative. But I know, and I don't know if a, a lot of people know, but you do paint. You do some phenomenal paintings. And, um, you know, I, I guess maybe what I'm curious about is at what point in your life did you decide that this was what you needed to help yourself sort of stay sane?
3: Um, yeah, staying sane is a big thing. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it's amazing that you think about it. Uh, I've been doing this since, I mean, 80, 80, 30 some years and, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm still doing it and I'm still, I mean, something that I think my, my normality is my abnormality in Hollywood. You know, uh, yeah. I really do. Um, it seems like the more oh. normal you are, the more ostracized you are. Um, you know, I've never I've never followed the whole Hollywood stuff. I mean, shit. I still probably dress the same way I did back in 89 as I do now? I mean, <laughs> um, Probably the same. Probably, I'm probably wearing the same shit right now. Um, but uh,
1: you still got those L.A. gears?
3: <laughs> no, I, no, I don't have those L.A. gears. No, no, I don't. I don't have those LA gears. <laughs> I mean, uh, sorry, <laughs> no, no, that was a product place. Of, actually, we were the first ones. I think LA gear just came out. Right. I mean, yeah. And then they told me that they're going to stick on the wall with the, you know, shoes that climb down walls, you know, but, <laughs> uh, and that was intervision, by the way, that was intervision. Remember that was out for just yeah. like, like a, like a cup of coffee. It was out. I mean. Where you actually saw what you were doing, yeah. You could actually see the helicopter and everything. It wasn't like it uh-huh. afterwards. I mean, yep. You know, it was uh <laughs> it was a, uh, it was pretty crazy. Oh, um, Crossfire! Yeah, so, yeah. Worked with the Cross Wars. Um, that was a great, that was a fun movie, Cross Wars Three. Um, but anyway, Killer Shelfie, I I produced that with my friend Dan Frank, and uh, he directed that. He wrote it. And it was, uh, you know, it, it was a movie about because all these young kids were, you know, off of themselves by taking selfies, you know, and yeah, and we came up with an idea. Well, he did um, of coming up with a movie about a guy who 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 comes up with an app called Killer Selfie meaning the metaphorical killer selfie, the best selfie ever, you know, and, and basically the more they use the app, they make money, but the, cl- the more they use it, the closer they get to death, you know, and I thought it was a neat kind of thing. And actually we did it. We shot it in, uh, I think 15 days. Um, you know, uh, and pins in it, Kirk Fox is in it. Uh, I'm in it, Dan's in it. Uh, um, Carlos Ram- Ramirez is in it, uh, so we got a really good cast. You know, uh, we did a lot of stuff, and and when you work with them, as you know, with a minimal budget, you got to really accent. I mean, lighting is is so key. Sure. To make it look rich. You know. Sure. And and I, even on Clinton Road um, with John Hudak, I made sure that you know, I mean, he i wanted everything with heavy blue hues you know and everyone was just like i don't know i mean it, is that gonna work you know and and it just made the movie look and feel like you could almost eat it you know it was like texture and yeah. um, come from a place of of, of 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 painting and being a big texture texture guy um i think that uh goes with uh As far as how I direct and and see things and visualize things you know so
1: well I think that's important and and you know what I think is important that I'd like to key on there that you said is the fact that you actually do that stuff practically on set instead of necessarily just doing it all digitally you know and I do that too I'm big into that like I throw filters on the lenses um, you know because I'd rather make that decision on set than necessarily go and punch buttons you know, I want the editor if I want it blue, I want the editor to get it blue. I don't want the editor to be able to click in Photoshop and say, How about this blue or that blue?
3: Yeah, there's nothing better than practical, you know? Yeah, it really is not. I mean, I mean, it really is not. I mean, if you look at like even going to even into Star Wars, um, if you look at the, the first not the first three in the story, the first three movies, the first right. one was all practical stuff. I mean, model yeah. this and that, and um. And it still holds up today. I mean, like, you
1: know. And then when they did. Uh-oh. Joe. Your mic's muted.
0: I know. I was hitting the button. See, every time he drops out, he connects again. He'll be back in one second.
1: Standing by. Yeah.
3: Here you hey go. Joe. There he is. Back. Hello.
1: <laughs> so I- you're talking Star Wars. You said it holds up today
3: yeah it's just uh I mean like on Clinton Road they had all these things that they wanted to do with like the blood and this and all this stuff and I was just like no it doesn't work anymore the whole I mean it's especially in the age range of 18 to 25 it's like it doesn't scare them anymore right I mean I mean the scariest movies are are leaving up to the imagination and and like, we did the scenes where, the, where you know it's there, but you really don't, and you know it's coming, and you don't show it. I mean, a perfect example, in Jaws, when the shark didn't work. I mean, you just heard the music. That's it. Yeah. And that was scary as shit.
1: Right. You know, so. Absolutely. You know, look at the first Alien film. Half the scariest shit in the first Alien film is the shit you don't see. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more, man you know? And, uh, but you know, what I, what I love is I love your approach. You know, I love your approach to your art and I love the approach that you have to filmmaking and I love the approach that you take to your painting. And, uh, you know, and I, I I love that we're friends, man, because I got to tell you, you know, the conversations we've had, you've, you've really helped me figure out some stuff with my inner creative that was going on. And I know we've had a lot of talks about some stuff that we've both been working on and and for anybody who's watching, you know there's some things to to look out for. Uh, actually, that the two of us have talked about uh, and are in the works to try to bring to you. So um, I'm very excited about that, and I'm happy that uh, I'm happy that you're here tonight and a part of this man. And you know Thank the you brigade, know. the brigade is about something more than just uh, another podcast, you know what it's about. Cause we've talked about it, but you know, it's something that I hope that you, you, you're going to be cool with bringing some of your experience to our little Facebook group and, you know, maybe, maybe offering up some, some experience if people have, are, are stuck or struggling, you know, I mean, one of the things that you and I talk about the most, and I'm just going to, you know, talk about it from my own point of view is, is the struggle that our inner creatives go through or me. Anyway, I talk to you a lot about it and that's just trying to get, to to you know, so much happens that make me makes me want to stop trusting my inner creative's instincts. You know what I mean. When I'm writing, it makes me want to stop my. It makes me want to stop trusting it and all that stuff. And that's a big struggle for me. And and you know, and I know that that you and I have talked about this a lot. And you know, I, I'm just wondering, like, where does where do you fall when stuff like that happens? You know, when you're starting to question your own create your own inner creative and your own gut instincts when it comes to your art. You know, how do you battle that?
3: Um, no, it's funny. Um, and you hit a, you hit a, you hit it right on the bark. Um, there's a constant struggle of, of, of the creativity and, and the trust. And is it right? And I, and I think, and also, I mean, there's another side of like trusting anybody that's in this business, you know, you really don't. So you become very provincial, very closed in that sense. But I think in the creative part of that, being that closed off to that part and not trusting anyone, it comes out in your in your work as far as uh, um, making movies or painting or singing or writing or, or whatever. I think uh, I think if we didn't, if, if, if we got to a point where we thought we, we were doing it great and it really was great, then I think we'd be screwing ourselves. I think that... <laughs> Struggle, you know what I mean? That constant yeah. struggle of, of never being satisfied and always being like, "Is it really that good? Is it really that good?" You know, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I think that don't... self-doubt keeps me and keeps you and a lot of filmmakers on edge. And and because if you ever lose that edge, I think I think you're lost. I think you, you might as well just give it up. You know?
1: Yeah. I agree. And if you don't, and if you don't know about the edge that we're talking about, um, it is, it's a tricky thing to find that edge. Um, but there are, there are certain, um, I don't know. I, I dedicated a large portion of my younger life to finding that edge (laughs) (laughs) and and looking over it and kind of dangling a foot off the edge of it and wondering, you know, and, uh, it's crazy, you know, I've pushed myself to such limits with my creativity and with the life that I led uh, to to nurture that, and I know that you have too, man. And, you know, I wouldn't trade a fucking minute of my life. You know what I mean? I, no, I know. You know? I Me mean, neither.
3: I mean, all this stuff. I mean, even the four years I took off after Mobsters, people were like, why would you turn down all these movies and all these movies and all these movies? It, it, it just because... I was, I mean, I look back at it now in hindsight, uh, maybe, you know, like I turned down speed, you know, because I read the script and it looked like, I go, this is like Die Hard on a bus. Yeah. You know, unbeknownst to me that the script I had wasn't the one that was, that was actually going to be done when the film got made, was the, the bus actually moved. The original script, the bus moved, never moved. Yeah. It was right there in the parking lot. <laughs> I'm like. And it was 1990, so I was the perfect cast for per, perfect person to cast because I was a cop on, on the show, and and the guy's a cop, you know. So, and then I took four years off, and and then again I took uh, time off uh, like about seven years ago, um, just to paint.
1: Oh, we got a question for you from D- Dean. Is uh, actually the. Vice President of Acquisitions and Distribution for Romero Pictures. Now, you and I oh, have talked awesome. about, a little bit about what's going on here. So he's asking you flat out, "Who's just love you, Dean? <laughs> who's distributing Clinton Road?"
3: Uh, oh, thank you. Um, um, yeah. Are the dead as far as uh, theatrical in Europe? I'm not sure. Um, Clinton Road. Um, right now, we're, we're looking to distribute that in Europe. Right now, as far as a worldwide wide release um so we're going through different people and stuff like that i'm not sure yet who's going to release that i i just the cut is there i'll be honest with you is is i i, I thought it needed another six minutes um but uh it is what it is but it turned out to be a pretty good film
1: well you know i know somebody with a distribution company <laughs>
3: <laughs> well we'll talk about
1: <coughs> Not putting you on the spot or anything. Yes, I am. No, listen. <laughs> oh, he froze again. Damn it, Joe. And you—you you didn't unmute your mic last time you came up here, Joe.
0: Yeah, it wasn't worth me talking.
1: But you were mouthing words.
0: Yeah, and I get in trouble for interrupting. So.
1: <laughs> Richard's frozen again.
0: You know, Joe should be seen and not heard. Apparently.
1: What were you? Did you need something?
0: No, I don't need anything. Just froze. You did, you did. You um, some
1: comments and questions, maybe? Is that what you popped up here? To go over?
0: That, I, Dean's question is what I was trying to bring up. Oh. And you already saw that because I pulled it up. But yeah. just, just keep in mind that this is your season finale and you have other people waiting.
1: This is very true. Thank you, Jeff. <laughs> Richard Grieco, thank you so much for coming on thank tonight. You. Man, Joe's telling me that I've got a, I've got a time schedule I've got to keep. So, listen, is there anything that you want to uh, tell people about, where they can find you, what they can follow, all that other stuff, and and also this won't be the last time you're on here. So,
3: um, you can go to uh, uh, Real Richard Grico on Instagram um, uh, or Twitter, Richard Grieco. Got, I got Dream Round coming out um, um, this this uh, January, February, and uh, then we got Killer Selfie, then Attack of the Unknown, and then and hopefully you and I will start on our project uh, in the in the spring.
1: That's what I'm hoping, man. That's what I'm hoping, brother. Listen, man, thank you so much for coming on. It really thank means you, the world to me. And and you know, I'll talk to you before, but just in case, you know, have a good uh, holiday, you know, in all those non offensive terms and everything. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> really? And, Those would be uh, the
0: things that would offend people here?
1: I don't know. <laughs> so, anyway, Merry Christmas to you, man. And I'll, talk to, you, uh, I'll talk to you this weekend, brother. I love you, man. Thanks for coming.
0: We love you. really do appreciate it. Thank you.
1: Later on. Thank you.
0: Well, that was cool.
1: Yeah, Grico is, is the man.
0: No doubt about it. And it seems like everybody in the chat wanted to be him at some point. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I pretty much <laughs> think, yeah, most people did. So that was pretty cool.
0: That I mean,
1: awesome. sp- sp-
0: especially you, probably with some hair envy. <laughs> You're looking for it. I know you are. So, <laughs> 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 yeah. Oh, Oh,
1: man. (laughs) All right. Good one. Joe's on it tonight. I'm just giving him some because it's the Christmas season, you know.
0: I've been Uh, crashing and burning all night long. You got to give me something. Pick your digs, Joe. Merry Christmas to you. (laughs) Ah, Yes. Merry Christmas. Well, we do have Michael Mandeville on and I will let you introduce him right now.
1: Michael Mandeville. Hey, how are you? Good. Good. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Christmas. You too. Uh, you, everybody on screen has already met Michael and I go back years. Uh, Michael Mandeville is a dear friend of mine, and and dare I say, the man who mentored me uh, to budget and schedule films uh, the proper way and not like an idiot like I used to do.
4: Uh. <laughs> <laughs> now that's one of the better introductions I've had, I think, uh... and. <laughs> In the reality of film production world
1: <laughs> Michael you are responsible for the budgets uh and for line producing on some very big films um you know I think maybe uh if you've got a little rundown about yourself you don't mind throwing out there I would ju- I'd just let you just kind of give yourself a, tell everybody a little bit about yourself and let them know who you are and then we'll we'll just dive into some stuff
4: Sounds great um Primarily I work as a producer, line producer, unit production manager. I'm in the Director's Guild, the Producers Guild, the Screen Actors Guild. And I um, uh, worked on all the Taken films as a line producer here in the United States with Luke Bisson. and um, uh, started in the business forever ago. Uh, I've always been in the business all my life. My aunt Molly was in the business um, with Daryl F. Zanuck at 20th Century Fox. So I kind of grew up on the lot there. and. Um, uh, I'm a vulnerable line producer, which is an important aspect about film budgeting because you want to be able to uh, assure the financiers that uh, the film will be completed and delivered, etc. So that's an important component of that. Uh, I've also, I've worked on films like Havoc with Annie Hathaway, uh, taken movies, American History X, uh, independent fair, uh, also directed documentaries, webisode series, uh a couple low budget features i think we're, we might touch on etc and um uh let's see I, I, I really enjoy the idea of exploring production methods and filmmaking with a calculator uh so that you're actually going to be able to make your film unlike uh trying out new kinds of software uh in uh different arenas and um so that's kind of it is that good enough
1: I yeah, it's perfect, man. You know, I'll, I'll never forget when Brian uh, actually introduced us. We were sitting up at Guido's, and we, uh, and he was like, "Hey, I want you guys to meet." And we were like, uh, within thirty seconds, Brian was like, "Well, I'm gonna leave." Yeah, that's and
4: right. He completely <laughs> bailed. He was like, "Okay, job done, moving on." And and I, think, funny.
1: <laughs> I think we were there until the place closed. We were uh, for
4: hours.
1: Yeah, yeah, talking hours. about talking about exactly what you're saying, which is uh, different approaches and unique approaches to something that is done on a large scale in the industry on a daily basis and ways to kind of um, sort of up the lower budget and more fringe independent quality by simply applying some larger thinking to some smaller spaces. And I think that that was the topic that we ultimately went down like a nine-hour rabbit hole together over several...
4: that was definitely... Of uh, a, a preeminent note, I would say. Um,
1: <laughs> how's that?
4: Was that a good one? Is that a good fancy term to trot
0: out? I suppose.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, so you know, what I'd like to just touch on is a little bit about your thoughts on that, from the standpoint of, you know, uh, applying. To, you, there's a reason that large films operate the way they operate, and yes, everybody says, "Oh, they waste money," and I, "Oh, they waste pay," and all this other stuff. But at the at the end of the day, there's an efficiency that comes from operating the way that they operate. Um, that while it obviously can't be applied to a three hundred or four hundred or one hundred thousand dollar budget film, um, the same kind of thinking can be applied. Correct? Yes,
4: absolutely, absolutely. Um as a bit as a, a slight precursor to our discussion I would say I recently went to the uh, attended the American film market and uh, things were a bit dour uh, I think that basically that's driven by the fact that uh, films that aren't uh, you know they're 10 million 20 million dollar movies are having a tough place in the market to get a theatrical release and therefore it's harder to justify that kind of money uh, without a theatrical release and then the other, uh, there's a long part of that I'm sure we could detail more and more, but there were people that said we may not come back to the AFM. We may do it in a different manner. Um, the other is Rogue Sutherland of CAA Media Finance, who's been in this finance game for 17 years, said American films are way too high and they have to come down by 50 percent, not 5, 10, 15, 20, 50. So these are pretty industry standard, even outside the indie realm but uh in some ways but at the same time they're certainly recognizing the the financial reality uh, in the feature film world and um so when we talk about that you know how do you actually craft the film well for one thing i think what you have to do is remember what is a film uh and some people seem to forget with the complexity of logistics they get so, so much in transpo so much in uh uh, you know, crewing up, and when I uh, uh, work in France, it's kind of interesting. They will sit and say, "Well, if you don't need somebody on the crew, don't hire them." Uh, in the U.S., we have minimum staffing in the unions, so you you must have a three-man sound crew. You must have five in the camera department, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, the advantage to the guerrilla uh, entrepreneurial. Filmmaker and I think there's a, a great title in there the gorilla entrepreneurial filmmaker, right? <laughs> I Think that's true and I, like, uh, it. I and like it a way to look at it um, But when you're <laughs> crafting a film, that's three two one two three, you know four hundred thousand dollars ultimately comes down to What's your composition in the frame? And what is your actors? And you know their performance is real. And um, are they well cast? And so many directors will say, ninety uh, percent of the acting is um, having good casting. Yep. And is, so if you are uh, indefatigable in trying to find the right, and I will say cooperative actors for that budget range. Uh, if they don't show up on time, you're in a lot of trouble, so you have yep. to kind of go with that. But I think um, if you're really thinking, like, what is – if I were to take a film that's a couple hundred thousand dollars, I'd say, well, what is the fulcrum of the film? What is the essence of it uh, where I can actually lay out the schedule uh, and say, wow, I'm going to be at this one place for, uh, let's say, uh, 15 days of shooting. You're lucky and you know, some of these, but – well, what's five days or seven days? And am I able to get, be in one spot and get one, two or three locations out of it? So I could be at my house, but does the house function as house A? Does the garage at that house function as you know house B, house number two? And is the backyard, can it be changed around to look like house three? Now I haven't left the house, but there's a lot of enormous logistical advantages to one, people won't get lost. They show up every day to the right spot. <laughs> okay, which is actually necessary. That's, a, that's <laughs> like getting
1: your name right on the SATs.
4: That's it. That is exactly what it is. And yet all of a sudden, you're like, "But we, you were here yesterday. Why aren't you here again? We're going to repeat this for eight, seven days or something. So you get that right." Um, the other is that you can have a hot set. So you can essentially leave everything the way it is, have it dressed, and then you can actually get 10, 11 hours of work done 12, whatever works uh, at your one location. So what you're doing is incrementally buying more and more time to get the performances right and the shots right. Um, And I see so many people that don't get performances, you know, from my point of view, I'm think they were miscast or not. didn't have enough time to do something you also uh having that anchor you have a rehearsal space that people are going to know theoretically it's a house you're at so if you really rehearse people um uh and have a script reading i think a couple of weeks or something or whatever you can manage for rehearsal two weeks or something they start to really live the characters that's right um you're probably not going to shoot a visual effects science fiction movie on this kind of a budget. It's more of a drama, more of a, uh, could be a crime thriller, uh, could be, um, there's one I'm gonna work on, which has to do ultra low budget. It has to do with espionage, uh, which is a thriller. It's a dramatic thriller in a way. And so I think I'd have that anchor point. And then composition, you could really start to map it out with the software that people have. So when you are getting like uh, shots in depth, uh, movement in the background, or very nice moves on a a gimbal or a a slider, you can really, again, if it's your house or a friend's house or whatever the location is, you can go there and practice that. You can actually practice and go, oh, that didn't work. Oh, I got to change things. So you can hone your game plan.
1: And all of that contributes to the better quality of that composition of the frame. Everything goes toward that. And at the end of the day, all of the logistical decisions that you've made, all of the practical scheduling and company move and all of the, all of those other decisions you've made, uh, they do nothing besides all of the great stuff they do for you logistically for the production. Um, they allow the actors to settle into a place, I think, and like you were saying, but I think that that makes them feel a little bit safer with their character as well. Almost more like they're at home, and uh, and and you you know because when you when you jostle a production around, it's a giant movable beast, and oh, you know yeah. it doesn't matter how big or small your film is. It's still even if you've got ten people in a cast of three, you're still moving lights, you're still piling everybody in cars, and you're throwing your actors out of the moment that that they're trying to keep. So you know, all of the, everything that Michael and I talk about is designed to give you a better frame, a better final frame when you, when you press record on that camera. But you know, the other thing that you brought up that was interesting was this type of film. And this is going to kind of lead us into your filmmaking with a calculator because, you know, when, and we've talked about this too, if you're going to make a $1 million movie, write a $1 million movie. Yeah. If you're going to make a $20 million movie, write a $20 million movie. If you're going to make a $50,000 movie, write a $50,000 movie. And this is where the filmmaking with a calculator comes in, and this is something that you've been working on for, for years. It's a theory of yours, and I remember talking about, with it about you when you were formulating it like a madman, and it was awesome.
4: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I know you were, uh, You and I were dialed in uh, uh, very specifically on the on a reality check here about... I mean, and I can't even tell you how many times uh, someone will give me a script and I I don't even know how many budgets I've done. Um, A couple thousand, uh, 3,000. I I can't even tell you actually, but most of the time someone will say, uh, here's the script and, oh, you could do this for 5 million. And inevitably I'm like, oh, okay, sure. You know, we'll see. And it comes out to seven, eight days. And then they start to give you numbers like, well, yes, the script is $300,000 and the actor should be a million. And I mean, when you start to add it up and go through the union process, uh, I've almost never had anybody give me a correct number and match it. Um, And that's because of the complexities of those particular productions in, in all the union elements that come into play. It could be an area standards agreement in Georgia, which is less than full feature in Los Angeles or certainly New York. Uh, but it's all the little moving parts that people don't think about. Right. Um, so you get extras. OK, so are they showing up and having at what time? Are they going to have breakfast? OK, there's a hit. You have to have extra bathrooms. Uh, you have to have uh, assistant directors. If It's 100 extras. Yes. Uh, Then you have more props, so do you have an extra props person on there? Um, You need more parking, because every single person... Now you have, theoretically, a hundred cars to show up. Where do those cars go? You need security guards for those cars. So you can see it's a domino effect of, what are your choices? Um, In which case, something like that, for example, uh, if you are writing a million dollar film or a hundred, to get back to your question there, and your, your point is, Or five hundred, whatever the number is, you might say I'm going to have twenty extras that I'm paying. Uh, I'm going to have eighty friends show up for two hours, okay? Family and friends, two hours because they will get bored, they will leave. They still love you, they will leave.
3: That's all (laughs) there is to it.
4: That is all there is to it. One way or the other, they got to go pick up Aunt Clara, or their kids are out of school. There's there's a reason, and they still love you, but they will leave.
1: Yep. So.
4: You know, you get the wide shot with everybody, be ready, and then you go down to the table in the corner, <laughs> whatever's going on. <laughs> but I've seen that. And uh, just recently this last summer, um, there was a film on uh, in Atlanta I was uh, working on as uh, representing the uh, financier in the bank, um, production company. And it was um, about a uh, family from India in the U.S., a little culture clash between uh, uh, Indians uh, from India and their daughter much more Americanized. So a culture clash set up. Well, when you have all these extras, you actually have to get people from India in Atlanta. And it's a very tight-knit, small community. And I don't think there's more than, I'm going to guess, 10 to 15, maybe, that were professional extras. Mm-hmm. So everybody else was, can you come? And Yes, we'll pay you. But, you know, they're a doctor. They're an engineer or whatever they are or, you know, work at a bank or I don't know, whatever it is. But this is not what they do and they're not much interested. It was more uh, a fun thing. Yeah. So it creates challenges. But uh, when you say when you have that script for a million, half a million or, or, or 50,000 or 100, indeed, if you want to go, let's go. Uh, uh, You can shoot me along the guide path here if I get off the rails, but, um, you know, you're looking at genres and you want to say, I want to, what's the purpose of your film? Now I shot a couple low budget films, uh, this last year, two years, I shot two ultra low budget films and a 10 episode web series myself following this advice at my house pretty much. And, um, what's the purpose? Well, my purpose was to get into festivals and to get skills for directing, which are different than line producing skills. That's right. So that I'm fine with that. Um, I actually have interest in one 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 best screenplay at a festival, which I was really pleased with. And um, I may be able to get some distribution on them, but very, very, very modest money. But if I'm doing a film for 50 or 100 or 500 and somebody wants their money back, and you have a real investor here to do this, you select an international genre. You can look up Box Office Mojo and you could see uh, domestic and international films, um, how many, many films, two thirds of their money's from overseas now, international, a third in the US. Mm-hmm. So therefore, the ones that sell are science fiction, of course. Um, action um, and thrillers are good. Comedies are tough to translate. You'll see on their Box Office Mojo that you're like, wow, there's a comedy did two hundred thousand dollars overseas while it did fifty million here. Right. So it's unique culturally. Um, if you wanted to, you know, do something like that, then I think uh, let's uh, pick a number. Let's see. How much money do we have for this script and to write a script for that? Which
1: are you asking me right now? Let's say let's yeah. do a film for fifty-four thousand dollars. Fifty-four grand. Okay, boy. And it's yeah, this is like that improv shit, right? Okay, it really a is a thousand-dollar budget film, and it's a uh, it's a sci-fi drama about a hitman, and there are three death scenes in it.
4: Okay, so. First of all, I'm probably going to want to say at fifty-four thousand dollars, I'm going to try and see if I can shepherd away at least uh, seventy-five hundred dollars into a contingency. I'm going to say I don't have that. I'm going to set it aside, and for two things: number one, reshoots or pickups. Maybe you know it might be two thousand dollars there, but that is going to really help your film once you're done editing, uh, and once you actually have it assembled obviously, and you start to look at it, you go, oh, I wish I had this or that. Well, if you actually have a little money to go get uh, extra shots here or there, I think it can improve. Uh, it might be two minutes of footage or three or four or you know something. But all of a sudden, I think it's going to substantially improve the quality of your film by 20, 30, 40%, let's say. And again, I'm just doing the math here. I'm a math logistical guy, etc. So that's why I'm thinking.
1: No, this is what I'm trying to get people to learn about. This is how, like, this is how when you come up with a script, or this is how I think, and I and I credit you completely with this. Whenever I write a script or have an idea for anything, you've taught me how to think about that script before I ever write fade in. There we are. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm trying to (laughs) about a little bit. But I you know, so so you're saying so you start by taking out your contingency, you start by planning for the end of the film. Because right. by the time you edit the film, you're going to look at it and say, well, shit, I wish I would have had, a, you know, an extra shot of him punching yep. that guy in the face. It's going to happen.
4: It is going to happen.
1: and thousand percent it will happen.
4: And actually, there's an enormous advantage because, I mean, I uh, I went and saw a friend of mine and, um, after American History X was working on a Mel Gibson movie called Payback. And um, it's Mel Gibson. And so I went to visit him on the set at Universal and they were doing, I'm going to venture to say by recollection, 20 to, 15 to 20 days of uh, reshoots. Those aren't yeah. pickups. Yeah. So uh, they have that advantage because it was a Mel Gibson movie at the time. But when you start to think of the digital world and the versatility you have, you could go out and get, get a friend, shoot a shot, with them holding your, the scripts in hand, and going does that scene work i mean literally michael and cameron go out hey we'll go with joe joe you shoot us okay i'm gonna read from the damn script i'm not memorizing it but you know and uh but i'm gonna pretend to shoot cameron and he'll shoot back and we fall over and you go hey did the shot work you can actually pre-shoot it you could storyboard it you can actually start to do things like that so there's two phases one is going from the back end of the film here's the money take money out for contingency, take money out for some reshoots. What kind of editing platform are you gonna use? I'm I'm assuming Adobe Creative Cloud is the one I switched over to for a lot of reasons. And I really, really like that. Um, And then what I would do is start to kind of come into my prep phase and go, okay, I got the script and I'd look at the logistics. So if I'm gonna shoot and 54 grand, I'm gonna say, well, let's just shoot 10 days right now, but Sometimes what you could do is say, I got 10 days with my main crew, and let's say it's the hitman, it's sci-fi, the hitman is um, in a house, uh, and he he encounters uh, the person he's supposed to hit, he realizes, oh, my God, is an alien. And you go, oh, my God, I mean, bullets are not working, but you still got the contract to kill this guy, and if he doesn't, then he's dead. Like So we now put him in a pressure cooker, but bullets aren't working. So he's right. in the house hiding. He has to hide somewhere in this house, I guess, or in, in the estate. So now you actually have these moments where you go, it's the guy hiding in the attic. Why do I need 27 people to do that? You don't. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> so, right, right? It's ridiculous. So if you say, well, he's hiding in... I'm going to make this up, of course. Uh, it's a 90-page script. I'm going to have uh, 10 or 12 pages of this guy hiding. Well, I can actually take that on the schedule and say, here's 10 or 12 pages with my two or three man crew. I don't need eight or 10 people. So now I've kind of taken it off the main boards and I know I could get that. And I did that with one of my low budget films. I've done it with, um, films that were three, $4 million. I've said, look, we're shooting here, but it's so low key. Then we'll bring in the rest of the crew. Mm-hmm. So keep it very, very even three, four million. I did it on a, a number of films uh, because why stock up when you don't need to? That's right. Um, so it, it's equally applicable to three films, three, four, five, ten million four, five, $10 million. I mean, whatever. This is just a, a principle of uh, efficiency. So let's take that off the boards. Now we're down to, I'm going to, you know, 78 pages. Okay. Now I've got my real 10 days. I've got two days of shooting the guy hiding. So now I'm down to 78. That's seven point, uh, you know, roughly seven and six eighths pages a day, which is a bit daunting. So now what I have to do is I look at that script and go, okay, at what point does the person who lives there—that uh, guy's the alien—and he's the one he can't kill, and he's got um, maybe he's trying to integrate into you know the Earth society, so he's got roommates. So now I got a chance to go, how many conversations does this guy have with a roommate to pretend he knows him before he kills him? Okay. Again, right. making up crazy shit here. Right. Uh, I assume I can cuss. Is that okay? You can fucking
1: say whatever you want. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I just I'm, reporter. Reporter. You I'm Because we're doing this audio, uh, we're doing these audio podcasts, so I want to remind everybody that this is uh, the Indie Brigade, Romero Pictures Indie Brigade. This is George C. Romero, and I'm talking with Michael Mandeville right now. So... so <laughs> So um
4: now we got these roommate discussions in which case now I could start to segment those where are those going to take place and it's one on one so you can maybe get more intensity and you have one, one a day when you start to knock off these pieces and when you're working with one actor and uh, two actors you can start to get a rhythm and efficiency that makes the 7 and uh, 6 8 pages a day which can be daunting um, possible You can also craft it to go, I know I don't have time for 72 setups here, okay? Uh, To get these number of pages, uh, how am I going to use the second camera? So I actually got these cameras, and I mean, look, I was even using this, and this is just one example. I got this uh, Sony A6300. Now, this particular camera, it's 4K. The picture is stunning. Um, uh, It's it's not a hyper fancy camera uh, by any stretch. But I got two of them. So now they perfectly match. I can set it up and the lenses could be the same. Uh, um, And and so when you have two angles, and I use that in that ultra low budget feature, I'd have an A and B camera. And you figure out places where to hide them. So there'll be a chair and maybe in an L shape, you put one camera at the end of the L. There's a a chair there where the actor's near the L. And and then there's a, a camera farther uh, at, the, at the other side of the L. So I have two A 90 degree shot, um, and people can learn that and play to camera. So now I've at least got two edits within this seven and six eighths page day. Right. So now we've got, let's say, um, three people in the, uh, we have somebody on sound, we have somebody doing the camera, a grip uh and uh, Cameron directing. And uh, so now we have three people, and we got to come out with our pay rate. So let's just say, for the sake of logistics, uh, we're going to say each is two hundred dollars a day. So now, now, see, so yeah, I'll actually got my back of my envelope here. I'll start to do things on. Oh so- man, we've got the back
1: <laughs> of the envelope, man. We're going deep.
4: <laughs> <laughs> so if I have, you know, a, uh, let's say two days here of the uh, what do we call it, the hiding guy. Okay. And so that's 200. And let's just say that's uh, two days times, uh, we have a crew of three, plus the director, that's four. And, you know, two actors, that's um, six. So we're at 1200, that's $2,400 there. So and if we kind of go up to another 10 days, times 200, and let's add um, four more actors, that's 10. And five more to the crew. So that's 15. So we're going to have, again, I'm just doing the envelope here. So now we actually start to parse it down to go, okay, now what's the actual map? Now, as far as the cameras go, as you and I know, we don't want to rent those if we can avoid it, if you can buy them. But if you can, depending on what you're going to shoot, if you're going to use the Sony a6300i have, I actually bought a a Sony NEX FS100 uh, a couple years ago. The camera, wa- the lens that it came with was okay, but then I was able to get EF mount lenses, really nice ones. The sensor was amazing to me. I mean, yeah. literally, it could read into the dark on this thing. It was amazing. So I really bought it for the sensor. It was a bit boxy, blah, blah, blah. Er- ergonomically, not probably uh, not great. Uh, it was okay. But it uh, it was small enough, and it could pick up, and I could do a lot of work without with only small supplemental lights. In fact, one, yep. of, my, one of my lights was uh, this
1: kick light. I are have you... like three of those. Yeah, these are great, yeah. aren't they? I use them for everything. Yeah, I literally yeah. light entire scenes with those things.
4: You can control them from your phone. yeah um, and um, um. So, you know, this is the kind of planning that I think you start to think about your camera. Now, the nice part is if you settle on your camera, when you have to do those pickups, you don't have to go rent it. It depends on what you want to do. I find right. that sometimes I've seen people rent an Alexa and put a lot of money in that, but they don't have the technicians to support it.
1: Right. right.
4: And all of a sudden you're really worried about the camera and you're not getting the performances. So I think there's a balance point between what you want to do. Um, sure, sure. but let's say if I go back here and I have, I'm just going back and doing the math here and uh, nah, two, so that's $3,000 times 10 days. That's like $30,000. So right now we're at 30,000 just for the crew. That's 32, 400 and we are at 54, right? Yeah. So we're at 54,000. So I'm going to minus 7,500 for pickups and that leaves me da da, da fives and four that's 46 right 46 yeah, yeah. five then i'd have so i actually have about fourteen thousand one hundred dollars to deal with food feed people well try and be nice about that craft service etc uh you can also get insurance and if you are shooting this for a um like a web series, you might be able to get a yearly policy for depending on. Let's say it's your house, for like sure. eight, eight to twelve. Like what you're doing now, video podcasting, like yeah. eight, eight, maybe twelve hundred dollars, twelve sixteen hundred dollars for a year.
1: Mm-hmm. Now that a lot of insurance Companies, a lot of private insurance agents will will figure out how to creatively cover your production. Yeah, people don't realize that. It's you don't have to call up like Hollywood Insurance Guys dot whatever. It, yeah, you know- they can
4: farm it out now.
1: Call up your State Farm guy. I'm just throwing that out as an example, but no, you're absolutely right. Literally, call him up. I ha- I used to have a guy that I was with a company, and I would call him up, and he would he would come up with ways to ensure my productions. And because I had other policies with them, it was really easy and really cheap. And it was I could just turn them on and off like hot and cold running water. There you, you go. Know? That's a that's a great idea.
4: I hadn't thought about that. I I'd sussed out somebody who would deal with um, video podcasting. Yeah, and so that was the closest I got. Um, but that's a great idea, and especially if you're already paying auto, home, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly.
1: Will the guy bend on it? You know, um, sure. most of the time they'll do what they can to try to help you out. Yeah, but you, but so so what you've done so far. So you've got about fourteen thousand left over. You've still got to figure out insurance, and you've still got to figure out production va- or production design and and props and sure. You no, know, So, I mean, so we've got, but the point is that even with all of that stuff that you just outlined, we're, there's still $14,000 to make all of that other stuff work. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that can go a lot further than a lot of people realize too, you know, and we're starting to get a lot of questions coming in for you. So I want to, uh, at some point get to those, but sure,
2: whatever you want.
1: but, um, but you know this all goes back to when you sit down to write your script, and this is filmmaking with a calculator. When you write your script, when you Michael Mandeville sits down to write a script, and you write a scene where a guy walks into a kitchen, picks up, uh, starts to make a ham sandwich, picks up a knife, kills an intruder, and goes back to making his ham sandwich. When you, those are very. That's what. That's five very concise small things. But when you Michael write that you don't just think about the actor walking in and making a sandwich and killing a guy. You think about where are they going to park?
4: Absolutely. I'm (laughs) thinking, where are they going to park? What are they going to bring? You know, what day am I going to shoot that? Because I'm not going to pay for their, their ticket on my street on the Monday or Friday when they got to move their car. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not doing that. I'm not paying for tickets. I'm telling, tell people up front, I'm not going to pay for tickets. Here's the sign. (laughs) Yeah, You actually give them a card, put it on their dash and go, I've told you about the parking. And yep. so then they'd feel like real jerks, you know, going, Oh, I forgot. Are they really going to tell you about it? You know, I mean, because you're trying to nicely be, you know, have them informed. Right. right. But at the same time, you have to be very careful with every nickel. So you're absolutely right. Um, I mean, I think the biggest—if I were to say—some of the things to consider in writing the script would be obviously um, locations. When you actually have to cut down the a script, and I actually had a, a a film that was had Russell Crowe attached, and they had, but they had to get it to a certain number, and uh, it was set in Pittsburgh, and had to get it to a certain number and in general the things you're going to cut from it going from 15 to I think it was 14 something like that for 13 and a half it was some odd number like that you're going to cut the schedule so from 35 days to 30 you're going to cut an actor or you're going to cut a major location in general if somebody lops a ton of money in the music obviously you're going to you know dial that back but by and large those are the three areas that you can deal with so how many actors do you have? Uh, what's your location? And that's where I'd start writing the script. Uh, once you have the location, you have a massive advantage. People go, "Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna write a script on a cruise ship." You friggin' own a cruise ship? Are you out of your mind? You know, um, you got a friend with a bar. You got a friend with a gas station. A guy, and I mean, a guy who operates tow trucks. Now, there's right. a great sense of a scam or you know, uh, car gets towed, you towed the wrong guy's car, you know, (laughs) start, he comes in, takes you hostage, because in the back of his car is a million dollars, $10 million, right? Right. So uh, money stolen from the mob. I mean, you know, you could start to work a story, find the enthusiasm in the story that can make you can make happen some people get these ideas going, it's gotta be on a cruise ship or, or, or the empire state building or God knows what, and you have no access to that. So you've actually set yourself up, write that story, put it on your computer and just put it in a little folder called someday I'm going to do this. <laughs> in, the, in the meantime, get back to planet earth. <laughs> and say, what are the things I have? And that's kind of the Rodriguez formula that we both know, right? Right,
1: exactly. He was he was one of the first ones to kind of go really hugely successful with it, at least for the generation that knows about this, knows about him and our generation of people, you know, because he made the, what was his first one, a mariachi. A oh, mariachi. Made, and like his credit cards for no money.
4: And I remember actually, I remember seeing it over at Sony in a screening at uh, Independent Feature West, and it was um, one of the first things uh, my wife and I went on uh, uh, out. And, of course, after that, she goes, you took me to this movie? I mean, it was kind of a strange movie. But she was, was she was a good sport about it. But the crowd was enthralled because – and you know one thing he would do? I thought this was interesting. He, had, he shot it on film. So he would shoot one angle and then yell, freeze – Everybody would freeze in the frame. He would run over to another angle and then say, go. And then once he was rolling, then they would go. And that's how we edited in camera. Yeah. So if people that don't know that go, that's how, that's how you have to think about it,
1: you know? Well, and that's exactly it. I, you know, I mean, it's uh, it's the, it's the process of thinking about everything that you're going to need to make what you're writing. And, you know, a a lot of people, I think, you you know, overwrite or they they write something and say, I'm going to like you said, I'm going to I'm going to make this movie and it's going to take place in a in an 18 wheeler uh, on the moon. And (laughs) yeah, yeah, you know, and uh, and it just it doesn't work. You're 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 starting out by eight ball. Uh, when we do that stuff and shooting your entire film in a foot, you know, and for a lot of independent filmmakers, when it comes time to get started and do this stuff, um, the budgeting, the filmmaking with a calculator, it's a definite mindset. It's it's a way of sitting down before you even start writing your film and think about all of the things that you're going to need to make every word of that script. Uh, come to life. Now, the problem is, and this is an interesting point that I just want to touch on with you, is that that can be creatively stifling for some people.
4: Oh, yeah. I I, you know? uh, I think um, that's absolutely true. I think people get uh, a story in their head. They get enthusiasm about that story, and that's the one they wish to execute. And um, uh, there's a lot of versatility when you're writing is to go you know, you and I are good at spitballing. Give us an idea, and, boy, we'll run with it. And pretty soon people go, wow, you really kind of came up with that. We did it on uh, the Alien movie just now or the tow truck movie. And and, sure. and and the point is, is somebody somewhere says, I'd like to hire you to direct. And here's what it is. And you go, wow, I'm really not enthusiastic about your script. And you go, oh, good. Um, that's good to know. Thanks for the honesty. I'm moving on. I'm not hiring you. Okay. Take it from there. Um, or do you in the craft and execution of it, do you actually say, I'm going to find my enthusiasm and uh, work my craft, make some money, have some fun, uh, which is a lot better than a lot of people get out of a lot of their lives, uh, all the above. And do I actually figure out how to do this? Um, I'd worked with a guy named Bill Duke um, and he got a chance to direct a film of about four Jewish women in an Orthodox community. I can't think of the name of the movie at the moment, but I remember Bill saying, you know, he's the man in Predator, right? Yeah. I love Bill. Yeah. Bill's a great guy. Great, great guy. And um, I was working on this one project, and whenever he wanted to try and intimidate me, he'd take that hat off and give me that stare, you know, and I'd be like, no, nah, that's not working, Bill. Nice try. Um, not going to happen. <laughs> he, but he's just a terrific guy. But he yeah. said, I'm, I am I. grew up in a black community. I'm a black man. I don't know anything about this Jewish Orthodox faith. But he dove in and found what intrigued him and what was the enthusiasm. Right. You know? And he, and then, you know, crafted a film. And I remember liking the film. And um, that's, I think, one thing to learn is that you won't get everything your way. Anybody that uh, gets everything their way um, – is extremely lucky. I don't know one filmmaker that uh, people I've worked with that got everything they wanted. There's, no, no.
1: you know, I don't so think I've ever got a tenth of what I actually wanted. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, but it becomes a compromise, and it becomes having to keep, like you said, keep that passion alive. And and you know, I think for a lot of the indie guys who are out there with the smaller budgets and getting started with some things, I think it's important to think about the fact that, you know. Turn your limitations into your strengths. Absolutely. Uh, You know, if you know you're not going to have, um, you know, a a 1994 Ferrari, you know, whatever, uh, or have access to it, then don't write it in your script.
4: Right. Do not write it. Actually write with things that you have available within the means of what you have. And those are wise words you just said. And um, I know so many people that... um, Try and push the edge of the envelope for their.
1: Uh oh. My mic is
0: on. Hashtag Joe's fault. Oh, blame Joe. My bad. See, I can't even get that right anymore.
1: Blame Joe. Is my pop filter preventing these pops? It's the last time you make fun of my pop filter.
0: Well, it looks like you're making out with it. <laughs> well, where'd Michael
1: go there I mean, he, there he is. is oh man you, you left you left me and Joe to have to entertain people with our
0: own bullshit <laughs> and, and Michael nobody wants to see this
4: <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm warned right now gotcha
1: I will rescue <laughs> Listen, we have a bunch of questions I, I'd like to kind of pause for a second and maybe sure. have Joe take us through some of these questions because I think he's probably been paying had a chance to see more of them come in than me. What questions? Oh, fuck you.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
0: we'll bring you back in a minute. All right.
4: I think um, am I on now or
0: Oh, you're yeah, you're on. You're oh, okay. you're live. Yes.
4: Um one thing interesting is uh, just related to the lab we cut out there uh, but um, about compromise and there's really, you know, not one filmmaker that hasn't had to compromise. And it was funny. I was at a, a DGA event, Directors Guild of America, and, and they have Steven Spielberg there. And, of course, you're like, okay, so that's packed, right? Because everybody would like to hear what he had to say. And he literally sits there, and you know, people are talking and about things of his career. And he, he said, um, oh, yeah, on Munich. He goes, we had all these Zoom shots on Munich it was such a total clusterfuck (laughs) and and literally that's quote from Spielberg saying, here's the guy that I'd say certainly nearly defined the last 20 years of cinema or 30. Absolutely. And And here he is saying, Oh, it was a disaster. I mean, I had to figure this out and what am I doing? And that's much more prevalent than one thinks. And, um, I think the skill that people can use is adaptability, and because I've had um, line producing, I've had things where an actress was on LSD and cocaine, and I had to work things around. I've had things catch on fire. I've had locations fall out. Literally, people coming in. And you have the entire crew there, and they're going, um, "Our our uh, regional vice president didn't sign this location contract. We really don't care. You can't film here." And I mean there you know, there's like so many curveballs get thrown and if you're in a direct if you're the director too, you're the leader. If you freak out, everybody freaks out. As soon as somebody goes and same with the line producer and producer, I think, if you say, Oh, drip truck's on fire, actress is on L S D, good, we're gonna figure it out. It'll be fine. People all of a sudden go, Oh, okay, sounds good. You know, and, and it is truly uh, the military analogy. The, if the you know the general is freaking out, everybody's going to freak out, right? No doubt. So um, that's a really important part of uh, adaptability and the leadership element. Um, and people also, if you're thinking of low budget or any any kind of film, people don't want to waste have their time wasted. Yeah, you're paying for their time. Sometimes. Um, You know quite well. Have somebody sit around for three thousand dollars a week, and they'll say, "Sure, waste my time." But you lose enthusiasm. You can't actually buy enthusiasm, right? I can buy your time. If,
0: if I may interrupt, Sean actually asked a question pertaining to uh, that—that actually pertains to that. Oh yeah. It's actually an interesting question. If an actor is sick with, let's say, the flu, for example, he continues to work and the other talent continues to work as well, but could get sick or so. Do you have to pay them extra or is it considered an extreme and not covered in contract? Hope this makes sense.
4: Well, that's a, that's a, that's an interesting question. I like that one. Um, thank you very much, Sean. Great question. Uh, in general, I've had actors fall ill in a couple areas. Number one, they're either there or not, and if they're so sick they can't work, then uh, you might reschedule another day for them to have them get better. Uh, that's number one. Number two, and I mean, it could be literally to where their nose is so bad you go, we're not going to be able to match another scene because they're that sick. So all of a sudden they're at the coffee shop, then they go to the birthday party and you go, well, I thought they were sick or something was wrong. I mean, how sick are they? That's one. <laughs> and number two would be, are they contagious? Because that starts to go through a crew. And I've literally hired a doctor to come in and give everybody like some B twelve shots. I mean, like two hundred of them. Wow. So you're just you're just going just hit everybody with this, and knock it down. Um, on the first day of taken the 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 movie taken at the airport, uh. We had to, due to logistical concerns, start at the airport. So our first day, we had, I don't know, 300 extras or something at an airport, LAX here. And um, and I, I met one of the actresses the day before. She was sick. She gave me the flu. I'm literally the next day going, oh my God, I feel miserable. So the doctor gives me a B12 shot. I can't be gone. Um, but I didn't want to spread it to anybody else, so I isolate myself. But you won't pay them anything extra. But I will tell you a story on on uh, the movie Havoc with Annie Hathaway. Uh, we had an actor by the name of uh, Raymond Cruz, great guy. Um, and he had some other guys in roles, day player roles, and some weekly roles uh, in these gangs kind of thing. And two of these guys were like sitting on the curb, heads down, in their hands, like just resting, right? And I said, "Well, are they what's are they okay? What's wrong with them?" And he goes, "Oh no, they're both really sick, but they're here. They're willing to work." They're here. They're here doing the work. And I go, "Man, you got I mean, they were sick, really sick." <laughs> uh and but they said, "No, we got a job to do. We're going to be here and do it." And it would have really messed with our schedule because they were in the day before scene, so we would have really had to scramble. Right. So, you know, there's a couple of ways to handle the, the flu scenario. Did I, I hope that helped, Sean? Was that helpful, I think?
1: I hope. Oh, absolutely. I hope think that. it did. But beyond that, I, it reminded me how much I used to love getting those damn on set B12 shots, man. Anything you can take. Oh my okay, God! You know because you get so run down. But those B twelve shots, the met you would go to the medic and be like, "Yo, I need another B twelve shot." And oh, just then you feel like Superman. You know that and the, like uh, some of those oxygen tanks they keep around and stuff. Oh, uh, absolutely! It, you,
4: you can hit all that stuff. You know, it's funny. We had—I had an actress, and she, uh, um, the teamsters went in to clean out. The trailers, because at the end of the night, they have to check the trailers. And, you know, you do things like make sure nobody has a computer or a printer on the desktop as the trailer's being driven. It'll fall over and break. So they put stuff on the floor, that kind of thing. So they always check it and go through it. And at one point... You're welcome, Sean. Um, at one point, I saw them go into this actress's trailer and two of the Teamsters, and they shot out of there like you couldn't believe. And I went, oh my God, what's what's the matter? you guys okay? And they go, well... We went in there and we looked at that tabletop and there was so much residual cocaine on the tabletop. If they get that in their blood or their system, they're never, and they get a blood test, random test. They're never going to go again. That'll be it. Exactly. I never saw them move that fast in my life, but they came shoot. I don't know. They didn't use the ladder. They just jumped out of there. (laughs) Uh,
1: I think one time I had to go do that back when I was PAing on some stuff and, uh, and we found a bunch of necrophiliac porn magazines at the time. At the time, I didn't even know that there were magazines dedicated to that fetish. Uh, but there were, uh, yeah, yeah, we were in an in an actor's trailer who I won't name. But, oh yeah. my god! Yeah, it was like crazy shit. It was magazines with like skeletons posed and weird. It was fucked up. But um, yeah,
4: I'd say you know. I'd say that I'd start with the editor of that magazine and work <laughs> all the way down the staff. <laughs> <laughs> to go, you know, you're doing what? I mean.
1: <laughs> so, uh, well, listen. I think there might be some more questions. Sure. Um, let's see. Um, the guy sneezes behind you. Isn't it? <laughs> I think what's I think exactly what's happening with everybody is what I was hoping was going to happen was, you know, I think that this this dialogue between us is starting to kind of point out. Um, you know, almost a different way of thinking about some of this stuff um, than a lot of people have maybe realized uh, that they need to think about it. Well, and,
4: you're right. You're right. I mean, you know, I I told you about that VidCon conference, which is in Anaheim, video conference. It's online video. I, I think I've gone to the last five or six. Uh, I'm going to go next summer. Uh, it's in Anaheim. Uh, and I've gone to all the conferences, streaming, NAPI, DGA, PGA, American Film, blah, 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 lots of stuff. It's by far the most vital. And the best T-shirt I saw at this video online conference was, make something today, even if it sucks. Yeah. And and the, the mentality of film was, it's so precious and it's so expensive between buying the film, processing the film, showing the film, piecing the film. I mean that whole process is gone for expense. So now you can actually just say, well, Hey, I'm going to shoot a short film tomorrow, get two actors together, come up with a scene, um, you know, the, whatever it is and work with actors. And all of a sudden you have a short film and it could be something as, uh, if you know, and two men and a woman, they're both actors in your local town and you have a third person. If you have three, you always have an argument. You know, two people agree, the third one disagrees. Okay, great. You got to set up. And the wife finds $20,000 in the husband's uh, sock drawer and asks to explain it. You know what I mean? And sure. the mother in law says, Well, we need that money. <laughs> you got a short film. And right. if you're just practicing your craft, you might You have the advantage of shooting it, editing it, working with the actors to learn how beats in the script work angles uh the emotions in alignment with the shots and composition and you do it and you go wow that didn't work out well i didn't do well don't show it to anybody you don't have
1: to yeah record over it record
4: over it you you actually but you have invaluable experience of learning right there
1: yeah so
4: you're right it's the mentality it's 100 percent that cameron you and i always had that for minute one so
1: Well, yeah, and you know, actually, what you just brought up actually speaks to something that I'm hoping to get off the ground early in 2020 with the Indie Brigade. Right now, as you know, we've got a uh, a film festival going on for just trailers.
4: Oh, that's right. Did
1: did I tell you that yet?
4: I think you mentioned it, but we hadn't gotten into that yet. I think that's an excellent idea.
1: Absolutely, just designed to be a fun way to collaborate and to get people some bragging rights and. You know the winners get. Uh, you know one of the things that I, you know, I do the woodworking. So the the winner every three months we're going to have a, a new festival and a new group of winners. So the the winner every three months, you know, the camera front boxes, right, that hold the slates and the markers and all that stuff.
4: Oh, uh, that's a great one. Yeah, so I
1: designed one of those out of hardwoods, and I and I designed my own, and I make it out of hardwoods and stuff. So the winner every three months will get one of those. But they also get uh, all three winners get to things like have uh one-on-one q a's with people like us people like you and me and 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 all the other judges and members of the community and mentors uh to just ask about a project or to ask about something they're stuck on or to you know just maybe help them along just a little bit
4: and, and you know do people have full feature scripts they do the trailer for a full feature script i mean do they have to have a script or they can there, just make
1: it the trailer. trailer. It can be a pitch trailer. It can be oh. a, the only rule. I think is that it can't be a film that's been distributed. Gotcha. It has to be it, it. has to be either a finished film. And when I say distributed, like you're putting it on YouTube or putting it on Vimeo, that doesn't count. I'm talking about. Yeah. It can't have been picked up and sold and have you know made a lot of money. You it has to be just uh, just something that you're either trying to get off the ground or something you finished. And and uh, it has to be uh, under I three. Think-
4: that's excellent. I think that's just terrific because it goes back to our initial conversation of like when you and I talk going, okay, before you really spend time writing something, uh, all that effort, can you sell it? Is it sellable? Is it marketable? What's the hook? Uh, right. uh, is even more so in this, uh, the, uh, just what's a attention, you know, a deficit of attention How do you get noticed in this world, you know, for some piece of entertainment? Because there's so many choices. You're going to have something unique.
1: Well, that goes back to what we talked about the other night on the telephone, which is this micro niche stuff. And we're coming up up on the end of the show here. So uh, what I'd like to do is go ahead and let everybody know that we're actually going to be doing a part two with Michael. Um, Tonight has been sort of uh, an introduction of Mr. Michael Mandeville uh and all that he offers uh to a conversation about this stuff uh i'm looking very forward to the fact that uh he is uh, interested in becoming more involved with the indie brigade making himself uh, available in the community and things like that hopefully i can get him to uh to judge this film festival with me too oh i'd
3: love to do that and,
1: uh you know and so but michael is is literally one of the most genius minds I've ever spoken to when it comes to breaking down a script, budgeting a script, scheduling a script and how it all works. And, uh, it's an honor, you know, professionally to, to know him. And, uh, it's a, it's a pleasure personally to call him friend and brother. So, uh, I'm, I'm thrilled that you're right. And, uh, I'm thrilled that you're interested in being a part of this with us all. Um, so this is not the last time you will see Mike, Michael Mandeville. And in fact, we're uh, we're going to be doing part two, hopefully on the third, with him and continuing this into the season premiere of season two. Of oh, Romero there we go! Great, because this is the season finale of Romero Pictures Indie Brigade, and we are currently uh, talking with Mr. Michael Mandeville. Uh, so, but we got to wrap it up. So, is there anything you want people to know about what you're doing, where they can find you uh, outside of the brigade, anything like that? What you got going on?
4: Uh, well, I have. Um Filmmakingwithacalculator.com and michaelmandeville.com. I'm going to be posting more on michaelmandeville.com. Um, my Instagram that I kind of use a little bit here or there is mickeyblueeyes. I'm sure you'd appreciate that, uh, Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, I also answer a lot of questions on Quora. I enjoy doing that. So people ask me film questions there, and I like to write out good answers. So I think that's pretty good. Um um, probably have a couple other things, but uh, th- those are the main ones. And right. uh, I just say, I think you and I definitely hit it. It's the mindset that matters. Yeah. If you think you can do it or you think you can't, you're probably right, is what I think Henry Ford said. So just push through, persevere is the key. Just say, I'm going to get to the finish line, whatever I've got, and that in and of itself is going to build such confidence for you to say, okay, project two. That's, That's, I think, the essence of what I think you and I talk about a lot of times.
1: I think it is, too. And, you know, I think what I'd like to do for part two of this, if it's cool with you, is is pick some actual drill-down things and give some people some real-world practical examples, maybe even throw some graphics up on the screen. And sure. Like that, and, and actually start kind of, uh, you know, and maybe we'll even do some polls and take some questions between now and then. Just to see if anybody's got anything specific that may be able to help us drill down but i'd like to actually just do some real world practical practical type yeah we could do the back of the envelope exercise for something
4: uh we could yeah. uh you know and then maybe somewhere we'll do another one where it's a bigger size film or of some sort whatever yeah you know, absolutely it's great yeah yeah I'd love
0: uh, it. i'm letting you guys know we probably could have filled an hour alone with questions
4: wow well, I'm happy to come back and answer them, I and I appreciate people's patience and for Cameron and I to get yammering away here. Um, because Which
1: happens. But, you know, one of the things, all of these questions, they will show up in the comments. So if you're sitting around later tonight or some other, I know you're, you've got that thing you've got to go to tonight. But if you're sitting around and feel like scrolling through these and maybe hitting on some of these people, because I'm sorry we haven't had a chance to get to every question. Keith Hammer, Keith, I, I love that you are always uh, all about it, like, yo, let's make movies. Anyone needs some scary music, let me know. Thank Uh, you, Keith. Keith seems like a really good dude, and I'm happy he's part of the community. Uh, He's available to work with some folks. And, um, you know, I just think that this is great, man. I'm super excited for this to become a regular resource for people because, uh, as we announce on January 2nd and the 3rd, we are about to launch some big old resources for indie filmmakers to help help them figure this whole fucking thing out.
4: You know, and it's... uh, it's never a better time. Between streaming, uh, is there? It's expanding. Um, in the niches, there are riches, as the saying goes. And I think that, you know, I think your woodworking thing is friggin' genius. It's totally Thanks. friggin' genius.
1: Well, you know, maybe we can use something like that in the next episode as more of a practical example too, because yeah. that—that's an actual production.
4: I like that. I like that idea because streaming is a place. You know, it's interesting. You have a feature, but sometimes I think these ten-episode streaming um, uh, shows are an extended feature. And yeah. when we invest in ourselves and want to engage with characters and really see, you have this extended development. So um, we are obviously all into our, set, our our different shows, and there's so much to offer. But when you you know the thing you have is you are a woodworker. I don't know. I don't know really crap about that. You know, I don't. I mean, I I know what a plane is. I got this. Okay, I got a miter saw. I do a little, you know, but I think on a scale of 1 to 10, it's like a a, fo-
1: a 0.5. <laughs> Basically, you do all those tools you just mentioned and stick it together with a vice and throw them at a piece of wood and then you have a chair.
4: There we are. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'll pull to shove up some producers um <laughs> which is um Brings another story to mind. I may call you on that for some kind of woodworking. I'll tell you that. Um, But it's, uh, uh, you know, that authenticity you have is just key because people will say that is woodworking humor. That's woodworking insight. Um, You know, measure twice, cut once. I mean, all these, uh, you know, little uh, elements that if I try to do the show, they go, well, this guy has no idea what he's doing you know, in a few minutes. But with you, they know and they trust it. And that trust and authenticity, Oh, when I went to VidCon, to emphasize this point, is authenticity. Yeah. And that must have come up in almost virtually every conversation. If you look at the, the BS world of Hollywood, you got some real wimpy actors trying to be badasses. You know, and oh, you're man. like, no, I'm not buying it. I'm just don't buy it. And then you got somebody like Russell Crowe, who's like, he'll probably hit you. And like Robert Mitchum, he kind of reminds me of that hit you. Uh-huh. Wait, till you wake up, offer you a drink, hit you again.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like Cassavetti's. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's right. He wouldn't be afraid to knock you in the teeth if he had to.
4: Yeah. And you know what I mean?
1: And that's how it used to be, but yeah. Oh man, go to Venice beach. And it's just like all these yoked dudes, uh, you know, who with glass jaws.
4: Yeah. And, um, You know, or or Hollywood has its pseudo-intellectuals, and I'm going, just remember, they're all reading teleprompters. They're just memorizing lines. This guy is not really a nuclear physicist. (laughs) (laughs) So you get this faux-intellectualism, you know, and, um, and that is interesting because video online and the Internet said, I am real, and this is what, to a great extent, not everything, It said, this is what I really like and believe, and it finds other people that have the same. And now you have connectivity, engagement, thought, and an expansion of thought. And that's not something that Hollywood was attuned to. Maybe on pop shows
1: or something, you know, maybe, but you know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean, and that's exactly what the Indie Brigade is about. There we go. And, And we're doing it without
0: teleprompters.
4: There we <laughs> nothing <laughs> here. Nothing here, folks.
0: <laughs> I may need one. <laughs> hey, you <laughs> unmuted it. <Joe. laughs> <unmuted. laughs> Michael, My we gotta
3: call Joe. it. We gotta <laughs> call it.
1: I could talk to you all night, but we yeah, gotta I call do. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you so much for coming on here uh, on the season season one finale of Romero Pictures Indie Brigade.
4: Thank you. Uh, Thanks for Bruce. having me, Joe. Cameron.
0: Thank you very much, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks. You got fuck it. You, Joe.
1: <laughs> fuck
0: you, Joe. Hey, hey hey, George.
1: That was authentic.
0: Yeah. Love you long time.
1: Oh, fuck off till next
0: time. <laughs> nah, don't go there yet. Hold on a uh, second. I already did it. Not no, y- the tagline's been said. Uh, <laughs> really? Yeah. All right. Good night, everybody. All right. Good Thank night. you for joining Thanks us. You next time. See you later.